Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. joining us for the latest episode of the Commercial Property Investor podcast and I'm your host Jerry Alexander. If you've been busy investing in residential property but want to find a way of scaling up and creating higher cash flow in commercial property then this could be the very thing for you. This podcast show is here to support those who are looking to make that step into commercial property and maybe you already have done so but you want to listen to different strategies and learn from others who are doing things in this big marketplace. So some of these shows are solo shows where it's just you and me and I discuss some of the things that I've learned along the way and then other shows are a mix of different interviews with some other successful investors who give us some of their insights and experiences into developing their own specific commercial strategies. I really enjoy the interviews because I learn lots of different things from our guests but I also find the solo shows quite therapeutic and of course they force me to think hard about what we actually do so I can articulate it to you. I've been inspired by a few questions over the last few days by some excited investors that I'm working with. I'm planning recording a number of episodes relating to the steps taken whilst purchasing, redeveloping and letting existing buildings into cash flowing assets, checklists if you will. And we've got students at different stages of that journey right now. Some are still looking or being a little frustrated and not finding the right property yet. Some have had offers accepted and are moving on to that next stage, while others have just got the keys or they've done that first one and they're moving on to the next one. It's exciting to see and it's great to be able to offer them support in whatever way I can. Today I want to talk to you about that stage where you get the keys and you think, Oh my goodness, what have I let myself in for? Of course, as usual, I'm doing this in a jumbled up fashion and tackling the stage when you just get the keys first, which is really kind of halfway through. But more of that in a minute. I thought before I get into today's episode, I'd give you a little bit of an update on how things are in our wee part of the world. It's actually been a surprisingly good summer since COVID restrictions started to be eased. There are still some COVID restrictions in place where we are. In fact, although the government are allowing tens of thousands of people to go to football matches, they are actually still, in fact, advising office workers not to return to the office yet. There are some caveats around that, but essentially what's happening is our larger corporate and local government customers are still not back in the office. There may be one or two of them in, but the majority are working from home. But all of our small business customers are busy cracking on. Some of them, in fact, many of them, don't have the luxury or means to work from home. Sure, during the pandemic, we did lose some customers, but they've been replaced by other businesses. For those of you who don't really know me or how our portfolio looks, the majority of our customers are from, I guess, one person to 10 person businesses. 
we do have some with many more staff and we do have some customers that use our facilities on a part-time membership. So they're just one person, a solo entrepreneur, and they don't even use a space full-time. So it's a bit of a range, but it tends to be the smaller ones that are our bread and butter. And it's also worth pointing out that a big chunk of our space is office space, but we do have workshops and studios, storage, industrial, and some leisure, and I guess venue space. So that's just to give you a bit of context about our market positioning. So in terms of an update, our storage is still 100% full, our warehouse units are full, and some of our office buildings are either at or very near to 100% occupancy. Now, not all of our buildings are doing quite so well, but we have a really great team, including Linda and Megan, who've been busy marketing, carrying out viewing, selling and looking after customers. And our team is also growing, with Rebecca joining us over the summer and doing a sterling job as community manager at our Dundee project, the Flower Mill. And this last weekend, we actually had a wedding take place in the, let's say, retired jail yard at our courthouse building. It went really well and it seems everybody had a great time. And a few of our buildings have more than just meeting spaces. I would call them more venue spaces, where we can provide customers with a, a unique environment to run their events, whether these are maybe training sessions or weddings, of course, and special occasions or birthday parties and so on and so forth. It's actually an exciting part of our business that brings energy to the buildings. So I'm conscious of trying to incorporate that into each of our newer developments where we can. And over the last few months, one of our long-standing projects is now starting to come together, which is going to be another venue space in what I think was probably the former stable in the flour mill project. And part of that work will be to double the size of our business lounge. So eventually that space will include that, that larger business lounge with hot desks and fixed desks, phone booths and things, but also meeting rooms, a large venue space, a pop-up bar and a food and bev offering. But because this space is in some places over 20 feet below the outside ground level, there have been some technical challenges to overcome. But we're nearly there now and it's going to be so worth it. And whilst all that's been going on, we're also developing our other latest acquisition with phase one well on track now and for completion at the end of the year. So I think that's it for the update just now. Occupancy, projects, yep, there's lots going on. It's not all plain sailing and sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's difficult to see progress. And I just want to thank our team for working really hard during these difficult times and for driving things forward. It's been great progress this summer. And for any of you listening to this podcast who would like to follow some of those projects that we're working on, then you'll catch us on Instagram. My handle is jerryalexander.commercial. I'm on there and I post pictures of our properties and developments and what we're doing because I want to make sure it's genuine and authentic. They're only images from our properties and you can see the history of some of the projects. So for instance, if you want to look at the flower mill, which I just mentioned, then look at the highlights called CPI FM, which stands for Commercial Property Investor Flower Mill. Easy. If you want to follow our most recent project, that's called Saltar House and the hashtag is CPI Saltar. And there's a few others there including the courthouse, that you can have a look at those projects and what we're up to. Anyway, let's get on to today's content. Because I've worked with quite a few new commercial investors who have been seeking that first building, I've had the pleasure of seeing and hearing that frightened sense of, help, what do I do now, when they actually acquire one? In fact, one or two of you might be listening to this podcast right now. When you don't have a commercial building, 
and you're trying hard to get one, it can be quite a surprise when you finally get the keys, particularly if you spent a lot of time and effort trying to find that building. You can be forgiven for thinking, is this ever going to happen for me? Maybe I should just stick with the residential thing. Subconsciously, you might have resigned yourself to the fact that there are no more deals to be done. I'm too late to the party. This will never happen for me. So you just go through the motions. And then, oops, one day you get handed a set of keys and think, ah, I wasn't expecting that. I'm going to give you a quick rundown on some of the things I think are important in those first few days and weeks of acquiring a new building. I guess this could work for new build, but you're probably a little bit more prepared because you've been working on the project for a bit longer, you're getting it out of the ground and you have a bit more certainty. It's also worth pointing out, this is really for somebody who's looking at a multi-let property, but some of it will be relevant for single lets too. The thing about buying a new building is until you get those keys, you don't know for sure that it's going to happen. And when it does, it can be a bit of a shock sometimes. So this checklist won't cover everything, but when you get those keys in your hand and you're wondering where to turn to, maybe this list will give you a helping hand. It's all about timing, right? So for you, this may not be relevant right now, but it's good to be prepared. I think the first thing to remind yourself, though, is stay calm. Nothing's going to change overnight. There are very few things that are absolutely time critical. Of course, all of them will need doing, so they are important. But there's no point going into panic mode about all of it. In life, almost all of it is small stuff, even when at the time it doesn't seem to be. Now, that's the mindset bit, or the level-headedness part that we really need at those times of pressure. But most of this list is actually the practical stuff. And I love lists. They can take your mind off the sense of overwhelm whilst you concentrate on getting the necessary things done. So let's get stuck into the checklist. Now, the list will be different for every building, but there will also be some common items there for all buildings. So if you're lucky enough to have just been handed the keys to a new adventure, then when you go through this list, do so with the context of your property location, property type and current state. So, for example, if your property is in a rundown condition, completely vacant, unprotected, and in not so good a location, then security may be really high up on your priority list. And security, of course, has a sublist all of its own. So I can't cover every eventuality. Now, we've got the small print out of the way, let's get stuck in. So the first one I've got on here is Did you actually get insurance in place? Some of you may be thinking, Of course I did. And if you've gone for a traditional lender where you've got your finance from, then they will have insisted on it. You wouldn't have been able to buy the property without it. But if you've ended up buying it cash, it might have slipped your mind. And if so, get it covered as quickly as possible. You can get insurance put in place on the same day. It's amazing how fast they can do it. But sometimes it slips people's minds. The second one is when you get the keys, you might want to consider immediately changing them. It, is it likely that there are lots of keys in circulation, for instance, was the building used by lots of different people and therefore you need to change the locks or at least the external one? And we sometimes do this straight away on another occasion we felt it's not being immediately necessary. You see, with multi-let buildings, it can be a good policy to change all the locks to the same system so that you have effectively a master system. We have individual keys for each unit, which won't allow you to open other units, but there is a master key for you and your team. So if if that's something you're looking to do long term, maybe it's just the external unit or external key you need to replace. And then in time, 
you'll be replacing the others with a master system. But it's important to have a think about that at the start. You don't want to go halfway through and then suddenly think, do you know what, I need a master system. And then you have to take all those new locks out and do all of it again. So the third one is check for leaks. Is there any more damage since you last saw the property? What do you need to have fixed as soon as possible to prevent more damage? And it's not just leaks. It might be a broken window or a loose door, something that's likely to lead to more damage. Let's put a stop to that as quickly as possible. So the fourth one. So something else to do on that first day is check the meters. So you're thinking, sure, right, this is the same as residential. I go and check if there's leaks. I go and make sure I change the locks. I've got insurance in place. And now you're talking about meters. Yes, of course I'm talking about meters. Yes, you need to check the gas and the electric. But did you know you maybe need to check the water meter? It's likely to be out in the street. Get them all read, take photographs and try to get in touch with the relevant providers. And depending on what country you're in, these things will operate in slightly different ways. Even if you're in different parts of the UK, sometimes these things work in different ways. But it's important to make sure that anything that's involved in either a supply of a utility or indeed perhaps something to do with solar, because that's obviously becoming more popular, solar or energy production, that you take immediate photographs of all those meters. So that when the time comes to have that discussion, there's no dubiety about what the number was when you moved in. Now the fifth one. Let's check to see if the water's still on. And if you have a wet heating system, is it still charged or has it been drained? So what I mean basically is, is there lots of water in all the radiators and in the pipes? I remember a few years ago, we had a really, really hard frost from, I think it was late November through to January. And it was so hard that I've looked at buildings since then that had large cast iron radiators, these real solid take a bullet things that have blown up. <laughs> Parts of them have blown off the radiator and hit the ceiling because the system was still wet, full of water, and the frost came and froze them solid. And they just cracked and bits flew off. It's amazing. So you don't want that happening. Check if it's been drained. If not, maybe you need to drain it down, particularly now that we're coming into winter months, of course. And you maybe need to make that decision about, am I going to drain it down or am I going to get everything tested and get the heating back on as soon as possible? And of course, that does lead on to another thing, which you need to get the heating system checked. And the last thing you want to do is turn the heating on and burn a pump out or something because there's not enough water in the system because they are expensive to replace. So get a professional and get it looked at. and decide on which way you're going to go. So the next one is, for that first day, is take a walk around the perimeter. You're now responsible for this building. Is it safe? Are there any loose materials like gutters or stonework or fencing? Is there any overhanging trees or vegetation? What is a potential risk for the public or your building, of course? Identifying these things early on can help you plan priorities. If you bought a building that's been vacant for a while, then the chances are, because the process always takes so flippin' long, it's probably been a fair time since you've actually been in it and inspected it. So it's important to go in and just check that things are kind of similar as they were before, but often the maintenance kind of gets left by the seller, particularly during those latter stages of the sales process, because they feel that this isn't mine anymore, it's going to go soon, I maybe don't have to spend any money on, on maintaining it. Okay, now I'm going to move on to other things that don't have to happen on that first day, 
but are some of the other questions that have been asked. And these involve things like internet, signage, security measures, marketing, and things like development spec. You know, what should I choose? And so on and so forth. So before you get the keys, hopefully you'll spend a bit of time researching the market to see what might be possible. But now that you have the keys, it changes from theory to actually really defining what your customer wants. And the only way to do that is to attract some potential customers. So for me, this is one of the really critical things to work on early on in your redevelopment, just during those first few days. So the first part of that is, depending on your site, I get some signage up pretty quick. The building doesn't have to look pretty. The interior doesn't have to be finished. You don't have to have carpets and luxury fittings. You just need a sign to say coming soon. And you might say workspace or studio space coming soon. Or if you're developing a single unit, it might be industrial space, retail space, whatever it is. Put some details on the sign, but try and keep it really simple. You don't want to attract people with a really narrow, specific set of kind of criteria or specific product sell. Because you want to try and get as wide a number of inquiries as possible. Because if you're really specific, then you might preclude the real market for your type of building. And that would be a shame. So you need to try and keep it quite generic to try and attract people in to get those inquiries to work out what it is you're really needing to develop. Now, part of that early marketing, of course, could be creating a Facebook page. Potentially, not always. It might be developing a website specific to that building, depending on your overall marketing strategy. You may have other sites where you add this on, but you need to make it visible. Or you could just be engaging with a broker, whether that's online or local, particularly if it's a single let, somebody who may have better connections in the market to help find a tenant for you. And they may put a sign up, of course, and they may advertise it on the internet. It's all going to cost you money. But that's not the only way to find customers. And as we all know, sometimes handing responsibility over to someone else doesn't always get the results you want. So you've really got to monitor that one because it is critical, that whole marketing thing early on. And the thing is about the marketing stage is you, you can kind of leave it because you're getting into all the nitty gritty. If you're somebody who really likes getting involved in all the practical stuff and, and watching the site come together and all that sort of thing, it can be easy to be distracted by the day-to-day -day that's going on with redevelopment without really engaging with the outer world and finding out exactly what people are looking for. So it's all about testing at this stage and finding out what's going on. And I appreciate you may not have the luxury of being able to test the market because of the way you finance the deal. Sometimes the way that finance is set up, you need to get it developed and you need to commit and just get on with it. And that's fine. But if you've got the flexibility, then let's move on to the next point, which is a question I've sometimes had, which is which space should I tackle first? What bit of this building should I go for first? And if you're approaching it with that flexible development plan, then the key bit to start with is the main entrance, the toilets, some kind of tea point, I guess, and a single or maybe one or two lettable units. As I mentioned before, I've done viewings in spaces that don't have walls and they sometimes don't even have a roof. <laughs> but ideally, you'd have a finished product that you could show people, particularly if the building's not in a great state, so they can understand what the spec could be like. And I'll come on to that spec in a minute. But the key thing about this flexible approach is that you're not committing to redeveloping lots of space without necessarily having customers in mind. So if a customer comes along that wants a big space, you don't have to take out walls that you put in thinking you were going to get small inquiries 
that you've just put up and you have to take them back down again. So try and test, try and test. But I would try and build out the spec to a reasonable quality. You know, people ask, what, what spec should I do? What do I work towards for our spaces? Now, hopefully you've done your market research, of course, and already you have a rough idea of what you think the market might want. And sometimes this question really is actually just checking whether your thoughts are logical and you're just kind of being a bit apprehensive. And I would make sure that the first space or spaces that you develop are of pretty good quality spec because you can always start at a higher price and come down if you need to. You know, if somebody comes along and you discover, look, this market's just not happy at this price point, but it's really difficult to start at a low price and then try and work your way back up, it takes quite a long time. So a big part of the spec is how do you differentiate yourself from the competition? And depending on where you are, the competition could be a very basic standard format unit on a lease, not service space, if indeed that's what you wanted to do, or manage space. And a lot of the time when it's a single let, the agents, certainly those around me, will tend to say, leave it, don't do anything to it, the tenant will pay for the fit out. And in fact, quite a lot of commercial, I say quite a lot, there's not really many, but some people in commercial will say, um, you know, tenants pay for everything, it's a glorious asset class to be in, you don't have to pay for anything, you just get the tenant in, they pay for all, and then they pay your rent and you sit on the beach. And that might be correct for some, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you have to do the same thing as everybody else. If the local market's quite stale, then this is your chance to change the offer and really differentiate yourself. Let's try and push the market rate up by offering something different, not the same as everybody else. So moving on to utilities again, number 10 here. We spoke about utilities right back at the start of the list. But a key utility these days is actually internet provision. And it still takes time to get a decent internet connection into a property. This topic is at least a whole podcast on its own. So, for instance, you know, should you get copper ADSL lines? Should you get FTTC, which is fibre to the cabinet? But it still has a copper tail coming into your building. Or should you have full fibre, a leased line, where you're connecting directly into the network? And all of these, of course, have different price points. And then the service level agreements and quality and the quantity of static IP addresses, etc, etc, on the list goes. The key thing about the internet is it takes time to get it installed, particularly if you're looking at fibre, proper fibre that is. Typically a lease line can take at least three months, but sometimes we waited a lot longer. So this needs to be thought out and tackled fairly early on. And even if you look in your building and there's two or three leased lines evident that they've been there before, it doesn't necessarily mean that the next provider will come in and use them. It drives me nuts. You ask a provider to give you a price, you get the right price, you go with that provider, they, they can't use any of the infrastructure already and they have to come and dig another flipping hole and put another lease line in. It's a pain. That just seems to be the way the industry works right now. But it's important for you, if there's a timeline and you're going to be turning this project around quickly, to get that on the list quite high up. Because those are things that you have to wait for. It's on the critical path, really. And the next thing about the internet, of course, is what is it you're actually going to provide? Is it going to be by Wi-Fi throughout the whole building or a hardwired connection with CAT6? Now, whichever one of these methods you are thinking about, you need to think about it early on and you need to think about where you're going to put a switch or a router, your kit, basically. Where are you going to wire all this back to, whether it's Wi-Fi points or 
hardwire points, you need a space somewhere that's under lock and key where you have those main pieces of kit. Now, do you have to think about this in the first week? Not really. But as soon as you start bashing holes in walls and running cables, they're going to have to go somewhere. So you need to think pretty early on about where you're going to have that. So I'm conscious of time, and I want to try and wrap up this list reasonably quickly. And there are plenty more things out there, of course, which we could cover, like electricity provision and how many sockets there are and radiator positions and heating provision and all these things that do need to be looked at. But really, this episode is more about those first few days or a week or so after you've bought the property to make sure you've taken off some of those those vital things, ticked off some of those vital things. And one that I mentioned earlier on was security. So as well as making sure the place is locked and secure, you may want to be looking at CCTV to ensure it's that little bit more protected. You might be lucky there's actually some there, but even if there is, it's really important to get the highest spec you can afford because the picture quality is getting better all the time and it needs to be good if you ever need to actually go back and use it. Twelfth one I've got on the list here is a big part of building security is actually the fire alarm system. Is there one in the building you're buying and does it actually work? Important you try and get this tackled fairly early on, isn't it? So you probably need that checked over. And the security alarm and the security cameras and the fire alarm really should be connected back to a monitoring service. Again, depends on where you're at and what stage the property's at. And you have to make a judgment call based on the building type and whether it's single let and whether you need to have these sorts of things. But they can be really critical. Obviously, the fire alarm's important and a security system. And I would say CCTV. But getting a company to monitor it is also really important. And it does help with your insurance. It will reduce your insurance premiums a bit if you have these things in place. Now, the last one I want to throw in the mix here is about VAT and what business pays for what. Now, I'm not a tax advisor, so I'm certainly not giving any advice. But if you're moving from residential into commercial, the chances are you've probably not dealt with VAT very much before. You certainly can't charge it on to customers. But it's different now. This is something you need to work on before you really start investing lots of money. In the UK, if you want to charge VAT, value-added tax, for rent of a building or space, then you need to elect to tax the building in order to be able to do it. Now, there's a little bit of dubiety about whether a licensed space is technically renting or providing a service. But if you're going to be investing quite a lot of money in a building, then you may want to claim your VAT back. In order to do so, you need to make sure you do it in the right sequence of steps to ensure you're not going to pay more tax than you need to. For those of you who are thinking about having a holding company and an operating company, you may not have VAT on the forefront of your mind and you might not have to register both. But it's really important to get that advice and it does depend on how much you're going to be spending and it also depends a little bit on how many customers and what type of customers you're going to be getting in. And I do appreciate that lots of our listeners are outside of the UK so you may have an equivalent tax or you may not have this at all but the chances are you'll have your own little nuances in your own market and you'll need to get advice on it. It's actually really important when you're spending that money on redevelopment how it's deployed and how it's accounted for. Because actually it can have big tax implications. So try and ask probing questions from your advisors. And try and ask them to describe to you how spending money on different parts of the property, whether it's capital or whether it's maintenance, and how that affects your tax position. So 
There we go, that's my first stab at one of those checklists. Hopefully it all made sense and I didn't miss too much out. Like I said at the start, we'll be getting this written up and provided for you on the website. If you want to check out the website, it's all the usual W's, commercialpropertyinvestor.co.uk and we'll be able to provide that form on there. Hopefully it'll be there by the time this podcast comes out that you'll be able to download and use yourself. And while you're on there, on that website, you will see some other things that we offer and some of the video content and as well as blogs to help you on your way. If you've enjoyed today's content or some of the other information that we've provided, then please take a moment and leave us a review. Go on, you know you want to. Just click on the platform you're listening to this podcast on right now. Click the review button and give it a star rating. Hopefully a five, please. And just a few positive words. You'll make me very happy. But it's not just about my ego. It's about lifting the profile of the podcast so we can reach more people and help others get started in commercial property. So thank you so much for staying with me to the end. Have an awesome week in commercial and we'll speak to you again very soon. 